honestly, when you look at what we're doing in assortment, in space, in mod drawing, all of those categories in center store grocery a really, really great fit for where the technology is today and where we're taking it and accelerating it tomorrow. Well, hello there. This is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks Podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hybrid. Hybrid is the pioneer of hyperlocal retailing. By combining artificial intelligence, operations research, and human-centered design models, Hybrid's suite of products helps CPGs and retailers generate a return on physical retail space investment. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Zach Simpson, the Director of Customer Success and Sales at Hybrid. So, without any further ado, we'll dive right in and kick this episode off with Zach sharing what inspired him to pursue a career in retail. I guess it's all started with my father was working with Procter & Gamble, and so he was there for 28, 29 years. I kind of grew up in grocery stores and drug stores, and we moved all around the United States and actually lived in Asia for a number of years when I was growing up with my father calling on retailers. And so we moved to Northwest Arkansas. Walmart's headquartered in 1997 in order for him to call on Walmart. Through that time, like I was really into sports. I loved the competitive elements of it. Went off to uni to play baseball. And when that ended for me, I had to have elbow surgery and came home for the summer and got an internship at, at Walmart. And I can vividly remember my dad telling me as a kid, man, you should go work for Walmart when you grow up. They're growing really, really fast. It's a great company. They need good people. Boy, he was really right. And when I got into doing my first internship, my going into my last year of school, it was really for me. I love the nature of how it played off the sports theme of competitive. You've got a scoreboard with all the data and you're competing internally, you're competing externally, you got to deal with success, you got to deal with failure, all the kinds of things I'd kind of grown up doing in athletics. And I think being on the retailer side was also a great fit because you have so much data early on in your career and you're surrounded by an unbelievably diverse environment at Walmart, just wonderful, wonderful people at the headquarters to learn from. And you combine that with it's everybody's biggest account in the United States. I got to work with a lot of great professionals on the supplier side as well as at Walmart. It was a, a wonderful experience. During your time at Walmart, did you witness a shift in how business problems were approached and solved using technology? In other words, what were some of the most critical technology advancements that changed the game then? I started with the company in 2005. I mean, you think about it, the darn iPhone hadn't even been invented yet in that space. And so, yeah, we saw a lot of acceleration in some technologies, most of them in the space of how to manage big data. Things like Tableau came into, into effect, and we had a lot of the canned reporting suites that were out there really accelerated. Then if you look at the things that didn't change during that time period, though, it's category management. There were some theories and philosophical practices that evolved and accelerated, but 
it's the same darn systems with the same darn problems with humans moving boxes around on digital shelves. While there was some, the advent of linear scripting with some of the competitors that have been in the space that are doing space automation, there was nobody out there really doing optimization like we're doing such a good job of here at Hivery in both the assortment and the space buckets as it pertains to the category management problem sets. It's one of those where it really, besides some of the core philosophical things, there hasn't been real disruptive technology in the space for category management in the last 20 years. Zach, over 12 years at Walmart, you worked across different product categories ranging from dairy and frozen food to dry groceries and beverages. What knowledge were you found to be cross-transferable for AI and retail? So if you look at those businesses, they're very different in a number of ways. Some are temperature-controlled supply chains. Some of them, you've got very short shelf lives, like in the dairy department, you've got products that have to turn quickly or they go out of date. Then you've got products, you know, like in the baking aisle or what we refer to as like dry grocery, which are super, super commodity-driven and volatile from the standpoint of how currencies are impacting the product, how tariffs or port availability, there's all kinds of associated issues with it. And then into really the last phase of what I did there, which was very DSD or direct store delivery heavy. They're all very different, but what I guess they have in common is that all of those departments are UPC driven. From an AI perspective, we've got awesome, awesome data And the computer just will look at them and consider them to be the same just on different fixtures because we've got really, really good high quality demand signals on those products. From that standpoint, they're all really, really similar. Some of them have greater seasonal emphasis to them. Some of them are more promotionally intensive. Some of them are more volatile due to the nature of their supply chains or macroeconomic impacts. But at the end of the day, I think understanding some of those idiosyncrasies of the velocity profiles, the seasonality, the supply chain elements to it, it's what makes all of these categories similar, but then also every category is kind of a unique little snowflake of its own as well. Yeah, there's a lot of great things certainly to take away from those types of categories. And honestly, when you look at what we're doing in assortment, in space, in mod drawing, All of those categories in center store grocery are really, really great fit for where the technology is today and where we're taking it um, and accelerating it tomorrow. What inspired you to move away from traditional retailing and working for a company like Walmart and join a cutting edge startup that is bringing AI into retail? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you look at the mid 2000 teens, it became pretty evident in some of the ways in which merchandising was changing in retail in general. But I certainly had a front row seat at Walmart. You know, it's very clear that certain functions, whether they be pricing or supply chain, were certainly going to be much more optimization heavy, meaning they were going to be great targets for AI. I thought at that time in my career, 
it was a really good opportunity to leverage what I had learned on the retail side and the relationships that I'd established on the retail side after 13 years of experience with Walmart, learn some new things and pursue some new opportunities. And that really, to me, meant sitting at the inflection point between what I'm good at and where companies in the market is going, which is big data, the ability to leverage artificial intelligence to help support human-led decisions in areas where it makes sense. And that has proven to be a really interesting and rewarding track to be able to experience that with our leadership team here at Highbury. It's been terrific. So while in the U.S., how did you come across Highbury, an Australian startup, in the first place? I was the vice president of merchandising running the non-alcoholic beverage portfolio at Walmart at the time when I got introduced to Hybrid. One of my now Hybrid counterparts, Steve Weir, who's our U.S. managing director, was running category at Coca-Cola. And he was my contact over at Coke. And the technology was somewhat changing and evolving. Beginning, we were doing some stuff with linear scripting. And we could tell pretty quickly, or he could tell, that it was not going to be a great fit for the complexity of a category like carbonated soft drinks, sodas. He got exposure through the Coca-Cola Founders Program to the work that the Australian team was doing with this little startup called Hybrid in Sydney, where they were optimizing space, assortment, delivery, frequency, pricing on vending machines. And I think Steve kind of had one of those light bulb moments of, well, isn't Walmart side counter just big vending machine? You know, we've got an availability table for products. We've got a movement table for our forecasts on the items. We know the space. Why can't we go out and optimize this problem? And so Steve flew the founders, Minkes and Jason, two of them, over to the U.S. And we met for an afternoon and sort of scoped the initial project of what it might look like and learned a little bit about the existing tech as it was being applied in Southeast Asia and the South Pacific. We kicked off the project and for four consecutive years now, we've had a great partnership with Walmart. Going back just over two years ago, can you tell us about your decision to join Hybrid? I knew the guys really well from the time when we were doing work on the Walmart business. And then serendipitously, I ran into the guys presenting at a conference. We looked at each other and, and Jason said, we got to show you what the progress that we're continuing to make on this. I was so excited about it when I saw the work that Minkes and Mark Lawrenson and the team have done in Sydney that I immediately just I wanted to be a bigger and bigger part of what was going on. And that started our conversation. We sort of went through the let's crawl, walk, run phasing with it. Here we are today, almost two years into it, building a business here in North America that's really, really darn exciting, doing exactly what I had hoped to be doing, which is working with some really disruptive technology with great people, learning about things which are going to be so important, not just to the retail landscape and not just to the business landscape, but to society in general as we go forward. These are uh, great technologies with 
big opportunities and big implications. So with Hybris headquarters located in Sydney, what was the reasoning behind setting up an office in Bentonville? Setting up in Bentonville was one that we've discussed a lot. The simple answer is that that's where Steve and I have been and are, is in, in Bentonville. We've got a couple of other folks working in the North American business with us in different areas of the country. But we set up here because Walmart is located in Bentonville, Arkansas. And because Walmart's here, almost every medium and major manufacturer in the sales and category management supply chain space have offices here in Northwest Arkansas. We've got great connectivity through a lot of our old connections. One of the amazing things about this area is you're never more than one degree of separation away from asking a friend, hey, do you know someone at X organization or do you know someone at Y organization or Z organization? And the ability to get connected really, really quickly with those folks is easy to do here in Bentonville. I think the second thing about it is, is that Walmart is almost everybody's biggest account here in North America, unless they've got really large food service business. Walmart is almost 30% of the U.S. grocery marketplace now. So it means that the Bentonville team carries a lot of weight and influence with their corporate teams. And so that's another reason to be here. And then the third reason to be in Bentonville versus somewhere else is that as many of the touch points with organizations are through their local Walmart teams, the initial introductions are, these are the people that are actually feeling the pain of the problem set that we're solving at Hybrid. These are the folks that are drawing thousands and thousands of planograms by hand. These are the folks that are dealing with the 26-week timelines and all the deliverables and the late changes. These aren't the folks sitting in the corporate office that are have done the work in the past and are now managing the work and the resources. We think that having connectivity with the folks who are enduring the problems associated with the way category management and advisorship has been done in the United States historically is a really important part of getting our technology a good look and getting it integrated into some of these large organizations. So Hybrid has a suite of products, and the one that we have been alluding to during this conversation is Hybrid Curate. And Hybrid Curate is a category management tool designed to help optimize space and assortment for CPG companies and retailers at an individual store level. Zach, can you share how partnering with Hybrid changes the way a client does business? The hard part of all this has always been the drawing part of it, that it's so time intensive and so meticulous from the standpoint of the decisions that have to be made on hundreds of items on an individual planogram. Once we're able to get in and solve for that with optimizing space and assortment simultaneously, the buyer's decision sets now and the challenges of the things that they're going to go work on is really around, well, what can we do from a strategic capacity? We had a merchant utilizing our technology that really used it to support the joint business planning process. That's always been a challenge in the past because one, the vendors may not be familiar with the technology. Two, the merchant 
could agree to things in a hypothetical capacity, but they may not ever know exactly what they were signing up to do was possible. And if it was possible, what are the trade-offs that they were making? Because this is all about opportunity cost at the end of the day. If I'm going to add new items, if I'm going to accelerate points of distribution, if I'm going to give something more space, there are natural trade-offs that come from that. When a vendor was interested in adding points of distribution or linear footage, what was the cost of those decisions with the nature of how quickly our SAM product and what we're using at Hivery here around optimizing space and assortment can be done in minutes rather than months? It gave the merchant the ability now to go through and drive really precise level of partnership with a number of vendors that we've seen really, really play out in the financial results over the course of the last year. It's been pretty neat to sit back and, and watch it. Of course, there are intangibles of things that aren't associated with their work that was done with the Hivery product with that retailer. I think it's clear that the areas that the merchant leaned into and was able to really, really quickly evaluate the cost benefit of certain decisions, some of those decisions have really proven to be really high quality ones. Hivery Curate brings three broad categories of value to customers. Financial, through optimized assortment and space driving an increase in sales. Operational, by making the dreaded planogram relay easier and quicker. And strategic, by allowing customers to answer what-if questions faster and with more confidence, increasing their competitive advantage and deepening relationships. Hybrid Curate was designed with category managers being the end users of this tool. If you are interested in learning more about Hybrid Curate, you can now request a demo by navigating to hybrid.com and finding the product page. Zach, in one word, how would you describe your experience at Hybrid to date? If I were to summarize in a couple words or a word, what working at Hybrid has been like, it's exhilarating. It's really, really fast paced. The technology is constantly changing and evolving and we're adding new functionalities literally every week. Um, it's so cool and rewarding to be in an environment where you see your product changing and growing all the time. The second thing about it is, is I just, I want to work with people I really like. The folks that I get the opportunity to work with at Hybury, from our user experience to our optimization team, to our sales and marketing folks are they're just really top-notch people. I have absolutely loved the combination of working with great, talented people in an environment where we own the results. We own the product and the priorities which we apply to it. When I say exhilarating, it's really because we're making such a difference and you can just see it in our customers when we sit down with them that the problem sets we're solving and working on at Hybury are real problems for a lot of very talented professionals 
when you look at the impact that what we're working on can do with regard to supporting efficiency on those teams, improving decision-making in those areas, as well as the results that it's driving for sales and profitability and labor impact within our retail partners, it's a really, really, really wonderful place to be positioned. And I have just loved working here with the organization. What are some of the things on the radar in the coming future for Hybrid? And what are you looking forward to the most? What's on the horizon for Hybrid as we go forward is I'm really excited about the ability to begin to solve some, some new and differentiated problem sets. When you look at things like fixtures are an example of we do a really good job with certain types of fixtures today. Some are, have been a challenge. It's really cool now to be in this environment post-raise where I know we're going to have the resources to go and apply it against these problems that I know there's a market for. We're really excited to be able to go out and take the product that we've got and be able to begin doing some research against some different problem sets. So that's in the future. The other thing that I'm really excited about that's on our horizon in future is that we're moving into some very different types of retailers that have different velocity and product profiles and customer profiles. I guess seeing is that, man, we've got application into so many of these areas and there's a real ubiquitous need for solving space assortment and scenario planning across a wide range of retail segments, whether it's sea stores or micro markets in industry, whether it's the wholesale club network, whether it's traditional grocery, there's so many opportunities that we can go out and solve. And what we're working with here is completely relevant within those, um, those markets. Zach, it was fascinating to hear about your unique experiences that helped shape and define your career in retail. Now, I would like to ask you a few questions that focus more on what helped you get there. And one of the factors, I assume, that have had contributed to your success would be your decision to pursue an MBA degree. Can you share what encouraged you to do so? When I went through undergrad at Vanderbilt University here in the States, they didn't have an undergrad business school. They have got a great MBA program, but they don't have an undergrad business or marketing program. They didn't at that time. What I ended up majoring in was something to the effect of like consulting. Most of the people that come out of human and organizational development, it's in the College of Education at Vanderbilt, go into consulting careers with the big consulting companies. I didn't have a formal business background. I'd never been taught the theory of supply chain or marketing 101, 201, 301 type of stuff. I love to read. I'd read a lot of stuff on those subjects and I'd seen it in practice in my business or at Walmart. I thought it would help me differentiate from my peer group. The timing seemed right in my life with where I was with my family, et cetera. And I thought it would fill in some skill gaps were things that I thought I could leverage in the future because the University of Arkansas program is very retail centric. 
it was really interesting to go through the financial, be in studying corporate finance while we're going through the 2008 financial crisis. There were a lot of really, really live examples of things that we could see in the companies that were out there. That's why I went back and got my MBA. And it's certainly something that was difficult. It certainly put me to the test physically and mentally, but was something that I look back on now and still draw on those relationships on my experiences and the things that I learned in those courses at the University of Arkansas. If you had a mentee sitting in your office right now, what questions would you ask that would help them decide whether or not pursuing an MBA degree would be of any benefit to them? There certainly are certain vocations within the business world that are going to value credentials as a way to distinguish people at a higher, higher level. If it was a mentee who was sitting in my office asking me about it, I'd say, okay, do you believe you've got some vision for where you want to go? You're on a path to where? If their forward prospectus was one that would require or advantage them to have an MBA, well, then I think it makes sense. If it doesn't, and there are certain career elements like working in store operations for Walmart, you don't need to have an MBA. You got to be really good at what you do. You got to be really good with people. You got to be good on the finance side to understand your stores, et cetera. You can't teach running a store in school for an organization like a Walmart. It's just beyond the scope of conventional education. The second thing I would challenge someone on is, okay, are you going to go full-time? Are you going to go part-time? I think if you're loving what you're doing as a career and you're on a great path where it's advancing rapidly and you've got a good forward trajectory and prospectus, then go part-time. There's no reason to get out of line if you really love what you're doing. And so I loved what I was doing. I was being promoted rapidly at Walmart, and that's why I went part-time. You go full-time if you don't really like what you're doing. Maybe the company is something you're interested in exploring other options, and MBA gives you the ability to step away from that organization without just making too much disruption because really yet to see an employer or manager who's like, wow, okay, you're going to go full-time and step out of the organization, you know, let's stay in touch, give me a call when you're done. It's a hard thing to talk someone out of logically. The third thing I would challenge beyond, okay, is it important for your forward prospectus? Do you go full-time, part-time? The third piece is, why are you doing it? For me, it was to fill in some educational gaps that I felt like I needed. If you're doing it because you want the piece of paper. Like, I don't think that's a great reason to go and spend the money and the time and the energy to do it. There were plenty of people in my MBA program that were just attending. I mean, they weren't contributing at a really high level, et cetera. I guess my question would be like, if you're not in it to learn and to advance your professional agenda, why are you here? It was Certainly one where the more experience that people had and could bring to the courses, the difference between people who were straight out of undergrad getting their MBA versus the people who'd worked for five to seven to 15 years was night and day just with the level of contribution and the quality of those classes and the quality of the group work. It was definitely, there was a difference between the people who had not worked and the people who had gotten some professional experience. 
And to finish our conversation today, I have one final question for you. What helps one to become and be successful in a high-intensity role? I think what makes you successful in a high-intensity role, like working in merchandising for a retailer, is first of all, you've got to be able to balance what's important today because there's always fires to put out in those roles. The work is never, ever, ever done. Having the discipline to come in and run through your numbers every day, it's a lot of early mornings, and you run through a lot of numbers, a lot of reports. Knowing how to do the tactical elements of managing the business to deliver your P&L today, with also having the vision and the strategy for where you're going to take it as you go forward. I think the second thing that makes it really, really hard is the people side of the business, because you've got so much to do in those roles that the easy way to get things done is to be a sledgehammer all the time and to just bowl your way through those conversations. You just can't do that and maintain morale within a really big, complex organization with a lot of cross-functional components. Getting people on the same page and managing the people side of it while being diligent around delivering today and what the strategy needs to look like are all critically important things to balance. And then I think one of the things that differentiated me versus some of my peers in that environment was that I really valued the supplier relationship side of things. You know, my dad was a vendor for a long time. My wife was a vendor for a long time. A lot of my friends were in the vendor community as well. Getting the folks who are trying to get their jobs done in the supplier community, it doesn't mean give them everything they ask for, certainly not, but being accessible to, you know, getting a hold of people and responsiveness is one of the biggest problems in any retailer that you work with out there is just they've got so much on their plate. Responsiveness with something and, and engagement and being transparent with the things you could be transparent with from a data standpoint, from a strategic standpoint, and from a helping them to do their job and understanding what their priorities were, were all things that I think helped me in that environment of navigating a big organization. Thank you for listening until the end of this episode. If you like what we bring to you, leave us a review and subscribe. So stay tuned and until the next time, everyone.